Whoa, 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 whoa. What is up, everybody? I am your host, Kyle Hagan. Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. If you're listening on the YouTube, please subscribe. Please thumbs up. It helps the algorithm. If you are uh, listening on the podcast, as always, please subscribe. We have a great episode for you today. We're going to go over a little Giants-Eagles preview. We have council member Mark Squilla, whose district is where it's going to be in the new uh, Sixers, 76ers arena. We'll talk about that, where they're at in the process and everything. Uh, let's get into it right now. Kevin Kincaid, get your ass on in here. What's up? Oh, I got to do it. Oh, you added me. All right, there we go. <laughs> All right, eight fifteen on Saturday night. We've got the Eagles. We've got the Giants. We've got Eagles fans drinking. Eight hours, twelve hours. Lot K, lot M, lot P, and more. The Philadelphia Wings. Shout out to them. They moved their game up to one p.m. so it wouldn't take away parking spots from. Uh, Eagles fans tailgating shout out to them and shout out to them for letting me uh, be in goal last Friday uh, to really get the uh, get the guys going get some more up shot shout out to Craig he was on the uh, camera there shout out to Matt Rambo Blaze Riordan and Trevor Baptiste lost a tough one to Panther City but uh, the boys will will bounce back but back to the Giants Giants fans I feel like are feeling themselves Kev they're uh, they're playing with house money. They're chanting "fuck the Eagles" at the U.S. Bank Stadium after they take down the Vikings. People are saying Daniel Jones is the truth. Brian Dable should be coach of the year. I say the Giants haven't won in the link in nine years. Eli Manning's coming back. He can't wait to see how many double birds he's going to get. And you know what? The X factor might not even be Jalen Hurts, and it might not be the D line. It might be Cleet Blakeman. Thirteen and one Eagles with Cleet uh. Blakeman at the helm. Do you know the only game they lost? Um, was he, was his crew the one with the Dallas Goddard face mask with the commies? Uh, was it, was it for real? It was, it was Cowboys. It was no clear recovery on the opening kickoff. And then oh, it was Dallas. Oh, and, and it yeah. was, uh, same game was Dallas Goddard's 75 yard touchdown where he got his face mask ripped off Yeah, and he, he kept it on. And it was the phantom offensive pass interference call, uh, basically handed the Cowboys the division. Mm-hmm. One of the worst officiated games in my lifetime. Yeah. But, but uh, if you look back on it, and and I think besides the Seahawks winning, this was kind of, I think, the perfect, I guess you could say the Cowboys too, but the perfect shakeout, I think, for wildcard weekend that you would enjoy if you were an Eagles fan. You don't have to see the Cowboys. You don't have to see the, the 49ers or the NFC Championship game. And you get a team that you've already beaten twice in the regular season with 40% of your playbook in the Giants. Is this the best outcome besides the Seahawks losing we could have gotten? This weekend, Kev? I think so. I mean, when we did the exercise last week where we were kind of asking ourselves who you would prefer to see, we all had Seattle first, right? And then we had kind of like a – I think I said Tampa and then the Giants. Or did we say – I think we had Tampa and the Giants as like a tie, right, or or in the middle. I was Tampa Cowboys because I was I don't know I, I think I I think I uh I think I read the press clippings too much I was I was I was looking at the week eighteen you know they couldn't use the most of the playbook the yeah. the uh, the Giants defense was getting to Jalen Hurts I don't know I was a little worried but you know mm-hmm. what now mm-hmm. I don't know I know J- I know Daniel Jones had an awesome game I I just can't believe in Daniel Jones I won't I will refuse to believe in Daniel Jones but ask yourself this question it's like in week one when we were talking about the Detroit game and you remember everybody was hollering about uh. Dan Campbell's got him ready to go and the Eagles have just done a glorified walkthrough or whatever. And you and I sat on this show and we said, they're not going to lose to Jared Goff. No, right. They're not going to lose the fucking Jared Goff. We had. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, 
that, can, that ended up being true, right? And and so I think if you just boil it down to like the most simple statement on the planet, do, do you think, does anybody really think that Daniel Jones is going to come down to Lincoln Financial Field on Saturday night, a primetime game, and beat the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field? Absolutely not. Nobody on ESPN, even with the hot take artists, don't think so. Vegas obviously doesn't think so. It opened at eight and a half. Now it's down mm-hmm. to seven. I don't know where it is currently and whatnot. Also, a lot of people are wondering if you can beat a team three times. And according to, I saw this on Twitter, according to Chase underscore senior, since 1970 merger, there's been 24 instances of a team going 2-0 and in regular season and meeting a third time in the playoffs. Team that won first two has a record of 15 and nine in the third meeting. And when they're at home, they post a 14 and five record in the playoff game. That makes you feel good. So that's fake news. So anybody talking about, hey, it's hard to beat a team a third time. I think really what that is, is more of like a, uh, hey, divisional games are always tough and they're close and the teams know each other and they're mm-hmm. familiar with them. There's not, they're not keeping anything off tape that you don't already know. Throw the record books out, Kev. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it. I get it. And like, look, I think, um, I think the Giants are one of the best coach coach teams in uh, in the league. I think we said that earlier. I think when Cratch was on with us, when James Cratch from ESNY was on with us a couple weeks ago, with Brian Dable and Mike Kafka and Wink Martin, the other, I think they have that team way ahead of schedule. Way ahead oh, of schedule. Yeah, I know Joe people, Schoen, yeah, yeah. I don't think people were poo pooing the like the uh, the house money like ahead of schedule kind of thing because they say, well, well, you know, players and coaches don't say that publicly or they don't think that well they think that they're not going to say it publicly you think brian dable expected the giants to be in the division divisional round this year no no so they they are ahead of schedule but but because of that they have a little bit of the 2022 phillies in them where really it's like nothing to lose i think once they won that game in houston against the Astros to get themselves into the wild card then you like the pressure all came off their shoulders it's like hey we're in the postseason we got nothing to lose here clearly the Eagles have more pressure and there's more expectation on them going into this. You know, I mean, if the Giants come down here on Saturday, there's like an early turnover or Jalen Hurts, you know, fumbles the ball or something like that happens and the Giants get an early score, like a turnover or something, and they, and they you know, can at least keep the keep the crowd manageable, then maybe they grow into the game. But I, but I don't – no, I think they're just a, a house money team that's ahead of schedule. It's got some good talent and the coaching staff is way overperforming uh, – you know what what they uh, were thought to do this year, but I think Bob said it in the like, Slack chat. He's like, "We're not going to spend all week talking ourselves into the Giants winning this game. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that they do better than the Eagles, really. You know, and so they, the Eagles should be able to handle business. And no, that's not being disrespectful to the Giants. I think they're a good team. You know, I think it's like a like a touchdown kind of win for the Eagles. I don't think they're going to blow them out, but I don't think the Giants are going to win either." You're not overlooking the Giants. I know a lot of uh, the chatter on Twitter right now is uh, Eagles fans are overlooking this team. I don't think anyone's overlooking this team. No, no. Uh, I just looked it up. Their over under for this year for wins was I was surprising. It was it was pretty high. I thought it was seven and a half. Obviously they uh, they hit the over there with nine wins. I was surprised it was that high. Uh, I didn't know people were that high on on, on Brian Dable, but seven and a half wins for the Giants. So they, they must have thought the, the um they must have thought the schedule was shit. You know, a little bit. They must have thought the NFC East wasn't going to be as good, maybe, as, as it was. Which is funny because now the the playoffs on this side, it's three NFC East teams and the 49ers, you know. So go figure. Yeah, that's the first time that's happened since they went to just four teams per division in 2002. That three teams from the same division have all made it to the divisional round. I This is from uh, Reddit CFB on Twitter. Um, 
I, I was eight years old in 2001. I thought they switched for the, the five team divisions like way sooner than that. Like I remember going to an Eagles Cardinals game. But I thought that was in like 1997, 1998. I couldn't believe it was 2001. I looked back and looked at some of those divisions. It was wild to see who was in which division back in the day. Yeah, I think this, the expansion here of the playoffs too means that you're probably going to see this more um, going forward. Just because it was it was hard for you know three, you know, because you you would need. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have crazy years for three teams from the same division to to end up in it. You know. Um, from Philly fan in the chat here, uh, can Daniel Jones get the ball out as fast as Davis Webb did in week 18? I don't think so. Just need to make sure when he escapes, you have a plan to collapse on him. I think that's largely true. You know, if you go back to, and like, here's the thing, Pagan, I think that you can probably take the second Eagles Giants game and um, just throw it, throw it out. I don't, I don't think yeah. it means anything anyway. I mean, the giants would probably tell you the same thing. Like that, that game didn't mean any, anything either. So even if you wanted to do the fake news things about, about, uh, you know, a team having trouble beating a team three times in one year, that second game didn't really account for, for anything I'd, to begin with. I'd be shocked if Brian Dable, Mike Kafka and Mark Winkendar are wasting their time on week 18 footage, week 18 tape. No, the only thing that was weird is that they tried the fake punt in that game, and I think they had like another trick play in that game. So I'm just thinking, why would you want to put that on tape for the um, for, for the a potential? Yeah, for, for a potential opponent. matchup. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, I think to to Philly fans' point, um, if you go back to that first game that they played in New York, 48 to 22, and I'm looking off my other screen here if it, if I look look funny. Um, here's some bullet points from the first Eagles Giants game. Tyrod Taylor was New York's leading rusher in that game. Damn. And he, he didn't come four. into what, the fourth? Garbage time. Yeah, he had 40 yards on two carries. I think he broke a big one at the end of the game, and they got like a bullshit touchdown and a two-point conversion because it was 48 to 14. Mm-hmm. I had a Seth Joy- Seth Joyner tweet ready to go, and then they scored to make it 48 to 22. Uh, Saquon Barkley held to 3.1 yards per average on nine carries. Daniel Jones only ran it four times for 26 yards. One of those was a QB sneak from the goal line that he scored on. Uh, the Giants were down twenty-one nothing before the special teams unit blocked that punt. You remember that the Aaron Sipos play, a scoop, yep. um, and then the offense got the ball back on the fifteen-yard line. Only one Giants receiver went above fifty yards. Jones threw for one sixty-nine. Miles Sanders had his best game of the year, one forty-four on the ground with two scores on seventeen carries. Yeah, they had two sixty-four total, right? Jalen Hurts, yeah, had added uh, seventy-seven and a score on seven carries. So I think that uh, they they just ran the ball really, really well. Uh, against that defense and um they just limited what daniel jones was able to do on the ground you know he's a weird runner he's not he doesn't really have um he doesn't really run like i guess he does run like scampers he scampers but he doesn't have like he doesn't have like like kyler murray squirt out of the pocket and you know find his way forward for six or seven yards he's like a big dude and he has like strides and they run they run him they do design runs with him You know, so you he's just got to in the pocket. Broad, like he's, he's a broad-chested yeah. runner. Yeah, he's yeah, he is, he is. But I don't think like if, if I if I tell you like they come out that same game plan and they're able to like keep him in the pocket and limit the damage from Saquon. Do you think that Daniel Jones has good enough receivers to to throw his way to a victory against the Eagles? Like I, I, just I don't, don't know. Isaiah Hutchins is is becoming like Victor Cruz like two thousand and six right in front of he's our eyes. Good. He's, he's, he's good. playing pretty well. Uh, yeah. I think. Uh, 
I think uh, Kenny Galladay needs 75 more catches to get his, his $750,000 bonus. So we'll see if he gets that this week. Uh, then we got Darius Slayton, who I forget if he got hurt or something like that, but I think he's he's playing and whatnot. But there is nobody like defense and offense. There is no I can't I can't get behind Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones had 15 touchdowns this year, 15 touchdowns. And they're going to pay this guy, give him a two year deal and they're going to extend him. That is wild to me. I think he had the net yard average of like 6.7. I, I, the reason why this Giants team has been good is because they've just taken the ball out of Daniel Jones's hands. I mean, he's very good at like not making mistakes. That was something, but that's mm-hmm. something he was not good at leading up to this year. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's Brian Dale. Maybe it's his calling playing. Maybe they're trying to limit the mistakes and everything. But like they have taken the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands. But here's the thing: you ask yourself a question of like, has this coaching staff elevated these guys to? the level that they really are and outperformed the previous coaching staff, or do they have them playing like at an unsustainable level, like above what they really are? I think it's an unsustainable level, but in hindsight, that scares me for next year when they actually do. I don't know what their, I don't know what their uh, cap situation looks like, but that does scare me for the future. Like they have, I think you tweeted this. They are so way ahead of schedule. It's insane. They are. And that's not like a, uh, that's not meant to be like a criticism or like taking credit away from anybody. I mean, they've been good this year, but you ask any of the Giants fans up there too, they didn't expect to be in the divisional round this year. And like when you when they did the story, I guess it was Rap Sheet who came out and said, Hey, like, um, you know, they're thinking about extending Saquon and Daniel Jones, right? I coming into this year, I don't think they had a clue what they were gonna do with either one of those guys, you know. But I I, I think that like if you if you polled people around the league and said, Hey, do you think that Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback for the Giants? How many, how many people do you think would say yes to that? Executives, you know? probably less than half. I mean, I'm looking at it right here. He had games of 341, 334 yards, and 301 yards passing. Yeah. Those both came, two out of the three came against Minnesota, and then the other one came against Detroit. Before that, he had 228, his next biggest one, 217, 202, 200. So basically, we're looking at seven games he had 200 yards or better. I mean, that's just, that's not a franchise quarterback. No, and like Dable, I think people got to remember too, you know, before Brian Dable came to New York, Josh Allen was, um, I'm sorry, I came to Buffalo. Josh Allen was was super raw coming out of college, like hadn't faced a ton of stiff competition yet, and he got him to, to where he is now. So I think like the Dable and Kafka, um, you know, Eagles legend Mike Kafka, I think the combination of those two, like they just scheme these guys open, and there's, there's a lot of Shanahan, there's a lot of Kyle Shanahan like in this on this Giants team of like, they, they get these guys open by design. You know, I just think that the coaching staff has them playing at a level that's above their talent. I still think they have talent, but I don't, I don't know if it's sustainable. Like if you put pure, if you took everything else off the board and put talent versus talent in a vacuum, I don't know where the giants are better than the Eagles really. You know I mean? They've got, one, they've got one pro bowler on each side of the ball. And, um, you know, yeah, they're going to pressure Jalen hurts. So they got to try to blitz him or whatever. But, uh, you know, they're not going to be playing the Jalen Hurts that they were playing a couple of weeks ago. So I, I just don't. I don't know. I think the Giants are a good story. I give them a lot of respect, but I'm not. I, I don't. I don't think that the Eagles are in danger of losing this game. You know, I just. I just don't. You know, yeah. they don't. Tur- they don't. They don't get teams to turn the ball over. Um, they're middle of the road against passing, and they're and they're even worse against rushing. I mean, I, I think it's. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're letting five yards per attempt up right now. That defense, and they're 31st in interceptions right now. 
So, well, and here's the here. I mean, who do they have on the defensive line? They got Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a who's a rookie. They have Dexter Lawrence as their pro bowler. Um, yep. Leonard Williams, and then they got Aziz Azulari in the outside linebacker role. Um, they got some pieces on on defense, but you know, I think I think this is funny, Peyton, because like you know, everybody has just bitched and bitched and bitched about Jonathan Gannon all year long, and they got to be more aggressive, and they got to get to the quarterback and all this. So, stylistic clash. I mean, for people who want that. You're going to see that with the Giants. I love that Saturday because they, because yeah, because Wink Martindale blitzes more than anybody in the league, and the rate um, was 41.1 percent. You see what he blitzed against the Vikings? Mm. What did only, they? Was there a number on that? Like a only 22 percent, Kev. Oh, is Wink Martindale going away from the blitz? Six one zero, six three two. Yeah. Did he show a lot of soft zone? Did he play yeah. a lot of soft zone against Kirk Cousins? Yeah. They um so but on average they blitz forty one point one percent this season. The Giants finished thirteenth in sacks, eighth in quarterback hits, and tenth in hurries. Um, the Eagles blitzed twenty one something percent. They were ranked eighteenth, but they were number one in sacks and had more hits and hurries. And so it's not always you can get to the quarterback without having to blitz, right? I mean, we've kind of like gone over this before, right? And and so people people then people say like. Well, um, you know, they're getting to the quarterback with four, right? Um, well, it's great. I mean, that means you got seven guys back there, yeah. you know? And, you know, if you have to send five, it means you can only defend with six, right? That's, it's, yeah, it's that's, like, yeah, so. that's what you should want. And I know we're beating yeah. a dead horse into the yeah. ground and whatnot. But, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the Eagles sh- showed you how much the Minnesota Vikings were frauds all the way back in week two. I mean, do you remember yeah. when they beat the Buffalo Bills and the Vikings were – in number one in every power ranking on Monday. Yeah. I mean, imagine yeah. what had to go into that. They, the Bills, who had, I think, one guy playing in their secondary who was a, typically a starter because everyone else was out on IR. They needed mm-hmm. a Josh Allen fumble with like less than a minute or two minutes to go in the uh, in the end zone and a recovery. And then they just needed to – and then wasn't there a – I think there was a big drop. Uh, that uh, It was a rule completion. It was later overturned uh, on the Bills, and that helped out the Vikings, too. And the Vikings ended up winning. You know, they went to Buffalo, and they ended up winning, and it's impressive and everything. But there was so much so much things that went into it. And I remember being so pissed off on that Monday, reading the power rankings when I think the Eagles were still undefeated, and, and Minnesota, who we exposed in Week 2, absolutely exposed in Week 2, gave, gave everybody the blueprint for the rest of the year. We're, we're number one in the power rankings. It really, really pissed me off. Can I tell you uh, – the last time the Eagles and Giants faced off in the playoffs, could you read you a little? I love these. You know, where was everybody at last time? 2008, man. Yep. This was uh, via Ray Dunn, 97.5 on Twitter. Uh, Nick Sirianni was a wide receiver coach in the PSAC at IUP. Great PSAC <laughs> school. Great party PSAC school. Probably probably the best PSAC school to party at it, uh, in the in the uh, state of Pennsylvania. I almost did City of Pennsylvania again. Uh, Brian, Dable. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Brian Dable was Brett Favre's QB coach with the Jets. Jalen Hurts, 10 years old. O.C. Mike Kafka for the Giants was a backup quarterback at Northwestern, wasn't even on the Eagles at that point. And the Phillies were the reigning World Series champs. One more I want to add. Ray Diddy hadn't yet retired and then unretired by the last time that uh, the Eagles played the Giants in the playoffs. It's pretty good. I'm looking up the other teams that are in the uh, that are in IUP's conference here. Oh, man. Uh, East Stroudsburg, Shippensburg, Westchester. They're like a uh, Slippery Rock in there, slippery, too. Somewhere? I think Slippery Rock yeah, might be there. The PSAC. I'm telling you, man. PSAC. PSAC's the best. PSAC is a it's a great safety school conference. Yeah. Uh, it's a great D two basketball conference. Um, yeah. I think it's a good track conference too. 
Uh, I don't know anything about uh, well, football. Westchester usually is a pretty good football team. They usually have a pretty good baseball team too. But yeah. man, I mean, the PSAC was great for everybody that couldn't get into Penn State and Temple. And they just fell back on like, hey, let's go to Westchester and party. If you wanted to get, you know, if you didn't want to go 15 minutes down the down the street, you went out to IUP. Or if you didn't really want to go out to Pittsburgh because you didn't want to make that drive, you went up to Shippensburg or East Stroudsburg, far enough away. Bloomsburg. I'm forgetting Bloomsburg. Oh, I love Bloomsburg. Yeah. I just put the map in there for Craig. Maybe he can pull it up. I see we got, uh, what do we got in here? Oh, we got an Edinburgh up there near Erie. Oh, um, Oh, Mansfield. Can't forget about Mansfield, too. That's another one. The PSAC um, was Ivy League of partying. Yeah. Um, East Stroudsburg. Yeah. East like Stroudsburg. There's, a PSAC school, there's a PSAC school in Maryland or in West Virginia. Um, no. Yeah, there is. It's uh, what's it called? Uh, Shepherd, I think. Okay. Well, that's yeah, just. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Shippensburg, Millersville. Millersville. Chasm yeah. Andre Reed. Or was it Ryzen? Andre Reed or Ryzen? I think it was Andre Reed. Kutztown, okay, yeah. uh, went to basketball camp. Sneaky, got my really good cafeteria there. Good yeah. dining hall. Give me your Mount Rushmore of Andres. I got Reed, Ryzen, and 3000. Johnson. Um, yeah, Johnson, too. Uh, Clarion, Lock Haven. That's a good one, yeah. By the way, I drove um, down like 220 south from Buffalo into like the Penn State area. There is absolutely nothing there. <laughs> it was like, I, I went through like Bedford, Pennsylvania. Where the fuck am I? Bedford, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was like no, absolutely nothing. Power rank your worst drives. Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Philadelphia to Scranton. Philadelphia to Penn State. Philadelphia <laughs> to Florida. Uh, Lansdale to Philadelphia. Lansdale to Philadelphia is a tough one. You're right there, Kev. Anything that takes me on the uh, expressway, you know, or uh, anything on the Roosevelt Boulevard. But uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that 2008 game. I remember it was um, it was like windy. It was really windy. Yeah. I think like Eli Four exceptions. Out, Eli came out and threw like a duck on like the first <laughs> first, uh, first play. By the way, people ask me, they're like, how can you put Eli on your most hated Giants list? Because he stunk against the Eagles and they beat him all the time. I was like, well, he's on my least favorite Giants list because he won two Super Bowls. Yeah. Despite being a doofus, you know, like how this guy win two Super Bowls, you know, I, I think Eli has done a very good job of recreating himself post football that people don't hate him anymore, yeah. as well as people are right. I mean, they haven't won here in nine years. The Giants, the Giants really didn't beat us that much. But those two Super Bowls, even though they didn't directly, I don't think they do. I don't think they beat, they beat the Eagles on either one of those roads, if I remember correctly. In the play in the playoffs, the playoffs? Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't feel like the hate for for Eli is there because there were, I think, two losses to the Cowboys mixed in that whole uh, that whole Giants Eli career. Um, I was uh, I was also surprised by that, Kev, that not many people hated Eli as much as I thought people hated Eli because I hate the Giants a lot more than I hate the Cowboys. But they're getting there. The Cowboys are getting there. No, yeah, I got like a list going for a story later this week, but I think uh, Jeremy Shockey was probably at the top of everybody's list. Shockey. Tiki Barber, Strahan, Strahan was like number two. There was an asshole yeah, yeah, punter yeah. who said something about the Eagles too. Brad Wing. Was it Brad Wing? Yeah. Well, I Tell thought you like dipshit guy. Yeah. And wasn't Lawrence Tynes an asshole too? Didn't he like, wasn't he an asshole in an airport or something like that? I feel like Lawrence There's a Tynes lot of like asshole specialists that come yeah. out of New York for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why that is, but. Uh, and the Scottish Hammer who's on the team right now, the punter, I think he just, he just strikes me as an asshole. Jamie Gillen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I do the brave uh, meme whenever he he uh, yeah does something stupid. I don't know though. They weren't. Yeah, it's funny because you go back and think of like uh, you know we were talking about how people seem to some people seem to dislike the Giants more than the the Cowboys. Um, 
but you can't you can't really name a lot of giants that you disliked. You know what I mean? Like it's like Eli's Eli Strahan was a pain in the ass. Jeremy Shockey, but you know Victor Cruz for a little bit. I know it's missing Ellie's least favorite New York Giant is Victor, Victor Cruz. Uh, Jason Seahorn because because yeah, Jason Seahorn because he had the pick um, in the 2000 playoffs. He had like a pick six, I think, that put the Giants up 17 nothing. But yeah, I mean in that in that 2008 game, man, they went up there and the defense was awesome, man. I think Brian Dawkins had a pick. I think Quentin Michael had a pick. No, Asante Samuel had a pick. The defense just played a great game. I think there was four interceptions combined between Donovan and, and, uh, and Eli. Eli, and yeah. they were running. The Giants were running it with Brandon Jacobs, but they uh, they just couldn't find the end zone. I think there was like eight field goal attempts in that game. Yeah, uh, yeah. So- have you have you put in for your uh, Boston Scott anytime touchdown yet? I know everybody has. You know exactly. You know when he scores, everybody's going to have to tweet about it. You know, it's like the, the, the juice on that yeah. is still. I haven't looked at it this this week, but it was plus one fifty five. I think, yeah. Uh, on week eighteen, Vegas does Vegas just not know about the Boston Scott juice? I mean, because it, uh, ha- it was had <laughs> he has ten touchdowns, but it's gonna have to give great. at some point. This is the week that everybody finally keens up to it and puts all the just money on it, and then he doesn't. It. Play it all. Yeah, yeah, then Kenny Gainwell gets like a red zone snap or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly what's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, the, the the Boston Scott touchdown is gonna be like Christian McCaffrey levels of like minus like one sixty. It's like this isn't even worth putting anything on it because you're not. <laughs> I know, it. I know. It's like when yeah, it's like the Steph Curry uh, over on three pointers got to like <laughs> minus two 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 fifty at some point. I'm like, well, I can't do that one anymore. I think for a long time I was riding. Like that'd be a good question for comment for uh, people in the in the chat. Like, what's your most random player prop that you rode as long as you could? I think I rode like Nick Vucevic rebounds mm. and like double doubles for like a full year, but before he he was like named to the All Star team, and then everybody started to figure out what was going on down in Orlando, you know. So, uh, gotta gotta find another one with that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, um, our guest is here. Uh, oh, let's bring him on. Yeah, let's bring him on. Councilman, how are you guys? I'm sorry, I just muted myself because there seems to be a protest outside. Uh, and you'll have the noise back there, but it's <laughs> all good. You sound good. Yeah, you sound, oh, yeah. good. Good. Uh, I'm glad. It'll give people the uh, the sounds of Philadelphia who are listening to this outside <laughs> of the uh, outside of the city. Make them feel back at home. You know. When they yeah, you got there. it. I was enjoying your conversation about the the Eagles. So yeah, so what's your favorite uh, Giants memory? I got to say the um, Miracle in the Meadowlands. Number one or two? Oh, um, the fumble. The Herm Edwards one? Yeah, the Herm Edwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I right. was like, why are they handing the ball off type thing? And <laughs> they handed it off, Herm, and then fumbled the ball. We we end up winning the game. It, yeah. It's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. We have multiple miracles at the Meadowlands, so we have to stipulate which one we're actually talking about before the, yeah. both On both of those, the Giants coaching staff was wondering why they did what they did. I read Tom Coughlin looking at his punter and thinking, why did you punt the ball to Deshaun Jackson? <laughs> yeah, and he ran it back, and then the, you, you thought for a second there, was he going to release the ball before he crossed the end zone? <laughs> something you always had to worry about with the sean jackson yes yeah. he, always made it, he always made it entertaining give you a little more bump bumps in the uh in the old chest there during games yeah oh, yeah man. 
I think well, Aguilar, Nelson Aguilar had one of those two during the Super Bowl year. I think I had flashbacks. I had like, I was triggered a little bit. Think, oh my God, just get it across the, the goal line. You, know, make sure we you gotta say, I mean, nobody talks about Aguilar, but he had a great Super Bowl game. Yeah. Now, he, he really had a big game there. I mean, if, if, if anything, he can make his whole career off that one game. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, he, he still won't have to buy a drink in Philadelphia, no matter no. how uh, how everything ended. Or Do you whatnot. remember the, the the story with the guy was uh, catching um, somebody? It was a fire, right? Yeah. And he he goes, "Well, I want to make sure I catch him. I'm not, I'm not Nelson. I'm not going to be like Nelson Aguilar." Yeah, the, yeah, the unlike Aguilar guy catching babies out of a fire. I mean, that's yeah. just, that represents Philadelphia to a it team. It does. It really does. Yeah. You know, no matter what you do, somebody's always going to remember the bad thing. But. <laughs> Well, Councilman, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, obviously your district is in the next 11 years going to be uh, really looked at by people and stuff because of the 76ers arena and how that, you know, kind of unfolds and everything. Um, I think for, for us and for people that are listening, let's just, you know, take a step back first. Like, where are we at really in the timeline for this stadium right now? Well, I know the, the Sixers had announced they wanted to have some type of uh, legislation by June. I, I find that very hard to believe since they are still in an engagement process. Um, <clears throat> it's still early on. There, there still needs to be a lot of work that has to be done. Uh, and not only with the community, the Chinatown uh, neighbors and Wash West community neighbors, but also with the adjoining businesses there, uh, uh, Reading Terminal Market, uh, Jefferson um, uh, Building there, also with SEPTA and other things. So there's a lot of conversations to be had to see how this arena, if it was going to be situated where uh, they wanted to be located, um, how it would impact the surrounding community and if it could work. Uh, you know, I, I like the conversations. You know, initially there's a lot of uh, opposition to that, uh, concerns from the surrounding communities, but I think it's only fair to have this process play out and have the community's input and the other uh stakeholders part of those conversations so that to see if if it could actually work in the location where the 76ers want to put the arena so i want to ask you what do you make of this area in general obviously it's your district it's it's had a number of projects in it since the 1970s at the gallery that you know going all the way back to straw bridges and all that back in the day uh what do you see kind of as like the future of market east is it is it the fashion district is it the stadium or is it something else entirely we don't even think about yeah, I mean, it, it's very challenged right now. There, you know, there's a lot of concerns with Market East. Uh, one of our goals and priorities is really try to solidify East Market so that it would be a place, uh, you know, a destination. Um, in, you know, Mace Rich and Preet invested upwards of $400 million into the fashion district uh, recently. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the timing of opening up right before the pandemic, um, you know, just put a real damper on, you know, their their performance. And so that is still a challenged area. It's, it's a very challenged area. You know, they had the proposal, and if you remember, there was a casino proposal for uh, the old uh, hole in the uh, ground uh, site of Disney Quest uh, that actually didn't pan out also. And, you know, Center City's looking for some type of vibrancy. And uh, this, this is an opportunity, but again, you know, you don't want to uh, destroy a, an area by trying to increase its uh, potential. So I think what we want to do is first is look at what are the challenges of a site in the in and near a vibrant Chinatown community? How can those uh, challenges be mitigated by the development team? And uh, I think what they're doing right now is meeting with the community, hearing from them. Uh, you know, there's some people really adamantly opposed to it. Uh, there's other people who are saying, let's wait and listen and let's see what's happening. 
So I think they're going to allow the process to play out, listen to it, and then offer up some ideas of how they could hopefully um, mediate some of those concerns in order for this uh, project to move forward. So when you go to the arena website, they call this part of the process entitlements and approvals. And, uh, you know, you mentioned all the conversations they're having with Chinatown and with the city and various organizations and whatnot. Mark, where does the where does that all have to go in order for us to kind of say, all right, this is going to happen. You know, we're moving on to the next phase here. Like, does that have to do people have to be in agreement? Do we have to reach a certain threshold here? What's kind of the, the arbitrary point there? Well, anytime you have a project of this size, and no matter where it's at, when you talk about development, you never have everybody in agreement. It, it, it's impossible. I think what you try to do is go with the, the majority of folks. And, and then sometimes it's split right down the middle and you have to make a, you know, a decision on, on how to move forward. Uh, but, you know, when, when dealing with um, something this big, it needs legislation. So in order to have legislation, you're going to have input from the surrounding communities because there's going to be a public hearing. Uh, once the legislation is introduced, and I had committed to, if there is legislation introduced on this, that it would be shared with the community 30 days ahead of time. Um, and this way they could review it. But then there's going to be a public process. So during that public process, if all these things aren't done ahead of time, it'll be a nightmare for everybody, including the development team in the 76ers, as far as elected officials are concerned. So, you know, you want to do all that hard legwork ahead of time. And so if there's going to be a community benefits agreement or there, or there are going to be some mitigations like there is down in South Philadelphia for their stadium district per se, then that all has to be figured out before we would introduce legislation. So I don't see anything happening by the, the Sixers deadline of June. Um, but, you know, is it possibly to work its way out through the summer and then come up with, I mean, there's still nine years to go before the end of their contract with Comcast. So I don't think they need to start building it, you know, next year. But um, I, I do think that, you know, they are really engaged in the process. They are, you know, spending some of their resources to understand what the uh, concerns are. And um, I think then come up with a, a mitigated plan that could address those concerns. And at that point, we'll make a decision, you know, what weather moving forward right now. I think to, it's, right now it's a little too early to tell, you know, what direction it's going to go in. And um, I think we have to at least have all the conversations first. They, um, it's funny too, because I think on their timeline, I think they don't even have demolition slated for until like 2026, you know, right? So there's right. a long, it's, right. a, it's a long way to go for, for, for all of this. But, um, I, well, what do you, what do you see as like the positives of having an arena there? And then, and then on the other side, what are, what are some of the, the risks or what are, what are you hearing specifically from, from your constituents in, in Chinatown there? Well, I, I actually went and took a trip with some of the Chinatown community members up to DC where they had a vibrant Chinatown um in dc and they have the arena now that's in there uh that that development was a little different they used eminent domain they they bought up a lot of the properties that were there that were owned by a lot of the chinatown residents um and so we saw that you know it really negatively impact that if if we were going to have something like that here what can we do to make sure we protect the vibrancy of a, a community that's that's thriving and businesses that are there you know, and what can we learn from that if this was going to move forward? So I thought the trip was very uh, interesting. I'd like to do it again. But on the other hand, you're starting to see a lot of these new arenas being in downtown areas, right? Milwaukee, um, uh, Toronto, uh, and others, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, how how is that impacting the surrounding communities? How is that 
making are there are do we learn from our mistakes in the past and can we still have a vibrant community community right next to a, an arena that brings a lot of people in that you would think could either help a community grow or can it make it less you know less desirable to live there and uh, that's what we have to find out so i you know i see both sides of it and um, i see the positive end and i also see the negative side but i think you know without having these conversations um you know it's kind of hard to get to a point where we could really understand the process of how to move forward. Yeah, I think right now everything we're seeing is opposition, opposition, opposition from Chinatown. Have you have you met with anyone or talked to anyone who's like, you know, what, I, I, I kind of hope the, the the stadium goes in, but maybe you know the the chatter from the opposition is so loud that they're kind of just like underneath, you know, everything. I've heard of I heard it all. We have people that are very strongly opposed, and we have some folks that are are supportive, but we have some folks that are like saying. Let's find out, you know, let's let's hear what they have to say and let's make our decision after that point. There's some posts that are saying, listen, right now I'm opposed to it unless I could see that they're going to protect us. Right. So you can't find that out without having these conversations. Uh, so, you know, there's people all over the gamut right now. I would say that there is it seems to be a majority in opposition from the Chinatown community. But there are some that, that, that want to hear out the process, what the plan is, you know, is there a traffic study going to be done? How how are we going to be able to get to our residents? How are we going to get to our businesses? Is there a parking study done, environmental impact study? All these things that they want, you know, I support. And I think that the 76 development team should be able to show the community if it isn't going to be as negative as you say, then let's show them that and let's have them have a say in part of that process. Just for some clarification here, Mark, I've always felt like the, the Chinatown begins somewhere along like Cuthbert there, maybe like behind the, the bus station. Um, <laughs> number one, does the city have like a f- official like like boundaries for neighborhoods or did we just kind of kind of wing it with that? No, there is boundaries. There's there, the city has boundaries. They're called RCOs, registered community organizations. And so Filbert Street is the the south, the southern boundary there mm-hmm. um, uh, for for Chinatown, which goes right back into Arch Street, which is, mm-hmm. you know, fully active Chinatown. So, I mean, it is right there. And even if it wasn't in, per se, Chinatown, it does still impact that community, but also impacts Washington Square West, right? The Market Street, East Carter, uh, and other folks. And we have a lot of people weighing in on it from all over the place, right? And it's just like South Philadelphia. When you talk to those South Philadelphian people there, even though they have the stadium district and some resources, they still really send us emails periodically on challenges of getting around during and after an event. Right Um, now, certain events are different than others. Um, But the other challenge was not only during events. My question to development team was, what are you going to do? You know, if this is shuttered, if it's only the 76ers arena with other events there and Comcast stays where they are, you know, it may be closed or not active half the year and active half the year. Um, And then, you know, sometimes it could be more of a detriment with no activity um, in a community where it's just four walls and Supposedly they're addressing that with activating if it, it moved forward with some retail on Market Street and, and on Filbert Street so that they would be stores and activity along there. When we went to D.C., there was no events going on at the time, and it was pretty desolate in and around that area. So that that's also a concern to see how that would be addressed in this new proposal. Was the Greyhound bus station behind mm-hmm. there? My understanding is that that lease was coming up anyway, and the owners there, did they ask for help in finding a new location? They they've been looking to move for, for a while there. That 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 location is a challenge for the community. 
you know, you're bringing all those buses into a, an area that's already congested. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, they're, they're, that challenge has been given to the city looking for alternative. Uh, we've been talking about different locations for that for years. Um, so, you know, the idea too, is it, do you need a whole full bus station anymore? Uh, the way it works in, in some places like New York and others where you have a, you know, a storefront and you have the bus pull up to it. Um, so there, that's all being uh, worked on by the planning commission mm -hmm. and, and working with Greyhound to see where, I mean, you hear 30 street station, you hear some other uh, potential locations of where that would be, but um, that's still not set yet. Uh, so that, but it is there, there, that building, they've known that they were leaving that building for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, you don't hear a gripe about, <clears throat> excuse me, Chinatown. The next biggest gripe from people outside of Chinatown is the traffic. Um, now, I kind of look at it two ways. I, I I live in the city, so I know there's a bunch of parking garages down there. I know, obviously, we're also talking about a place nine years from now where we don't even know, you know, what will be built around there and stuff. And then also I'm looking at, like, the advancements of technology. I kind of look like, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have Uber. Uber wasn't in the city. So have you guys kind of, you know... I'm sure you've seen those gripes, but have you kind of take that into consideration about like we will probably alleviate traffic if the stadium is is built down there or, or is there really not a plan? I mean, there's two trains of thought. It's hard to think of that now. I mean, you know, with public transportation being on top of a, uh, you know, except the hub um, right there where people would sort of enter from uh, public transportation, you know, a lot. When you, you're so used to, and, and I think it's hard for people to imagine, everybody drives to a game right now because it's in mm -hmm. South Philadelphia. You know, you do have people who take the subway down from the city and get off and walk across, but not as much as you do maybe with the Barclay Center or, or, or um, uh, in Brooklyn or, or in um, even Madison Square Garden, for say. Um, you know, if you're going to a game there, you don't drive, mm -hmm. right? Because if you do drive, it's going to be a hell of a, it's going to, costs you more time to get get home. Uh, so I think the push on that is, well, people will be using more mass transit because you're not going to be able to drive in, in that area. And is that a reality or not? The reality is, is if you don't have enough parking and people either are not going to go to the game or are going to find another way to get there. And so I think that study also needs to be done, right? How many people need to take public transportation for this to work? If you're talking an arena with 15,000 people and it, um, how many cars can you actually park in and near um, the stadium or the arena area? And so we don't know those numbers yet, but I think they have to sell that in that this many people need to be taking public transportation. This member, you know, from what I understand in Brooklyn, they have Uber and, and Lyft drop off points that are a block away. Right. They have all those things already uh, set up. And so we would have to buy look at how car share works and how. You know, really in 10 years from now, who knows? I mean, uh, how transportation will be. But, you know, that's why it's so important to have that study and then be able to analyze that study to see if it's really, you know, worthwhile to do. I think the one thing that's maybe being downplayed a little bit, too, is that if you look at Chinatown historically, you know, there's been development popping up and down along their borders for for decades now. Right. I mean, like you see the convention center, you know, Vine Street Expressway and whatnot. So there's almost like a history in that neighborhood of of, of pushing back against development or at least being very vocal about it. Right. So I think when you take that into account, 
like, I don't think anybody should really be surprised. Right. I think that's just a natural response to something else coming up on the, the borders of their neighborhood. Yeah. I think what people forget, I mean, when you live far away from something, it's a great idea when it affects you personally or financially, it's a whole different ball game. Right. And like people say, well, you know, let's put more stuff down in South Philadelphia at the stadium area. You talk to those folks, they'll say, well, you better get out of here. Don't, we don't need anything else down here. Mm. <clears throat> so, you know, once it affects you personally, financially, and, and also the fear of doesn't move you out of somewhere where, you know, you've been living generations of, of folks have been there for a long time. You know, we want to keep our vibrancy. We love the diversity of the city of Philadelphia. The reason why Philadelphia is so great is it has neighborhoods. Right. And those neighborhoods attract other people to them. And, um, you know, we don't want to lose that in any way. So what do we do to make sure if we are going to develop and, and change a community, how do we make sure or ensure that we don't, you know, destroy a vibrancy that was once there? And it's a challenge. I'm not going to say it's an easy thing to do or we're going to have a magic wand and they're going to say they're going to do this, this and this. And everybody's going to say, oh, we support this arena because that'll never happen. There's yeah. always going to be. Uh, this is going to be a tough road and it, it needs to, the process needs to play out and everybody needs to be heard. But yeah, it's anytime we have a development within a community that we think is, you know, that's big enough to, to negatively impact it, there are going to be concerns from the nearby residents. And I think it's it should be accepted and it should be listened to. Is there any concern that if they don't get to build the arena in the city, they'll just say screw it and move it over to Camden and then we're not getting anything? I mean, I, I would always say yes. I mean, there's always that concern. Uh, they seem committed to be in Philadelphia. They, they've looked at the site. They are, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the first RFP that had a proposal down on Delaware mm -hmm. um, uh, that they didn't get. And I think they learned from that one, too. I think they were looking for some city subsidies and some dollars. And I think they realized that it's kind of hard to get that, you know, during this political environment to to ask people to give tax dollars to somebody who's making a whole lot of money. So uh, this is a big investment for them and I'm sure they want to do it right. I don't think they want to spend a whole lot of money on something and then not be able to have it. So, you know, you know, there, we heard about 30 street as another possibility and they had a couple other locations that they were looking at and, you know, they settled on this one and I guess, uh, you know, working on that Maceritz site. Uh, but, you know, there, there's still some infrastructure I'm sure they have to work through. How does it work with, you know, SEPTA underneath it? Obviously, they build these buildings before in other areas. And uh, I think it's important to go look at those areas, too, to see how, you know, talk to those residents and see what they think of, you know, what, what the benefits are and what the negative impacts are. Um, last one for me. It's not even really a question. It's more of an observation. I'm curious as to your take on it, but at least in looking at like the media coverage of, of the arena and the, the, you know, the vocalization from Chinatown, I think it's funny because I think that people who don't necessarily like basketball or who don't care about sports, they probably don't care about an arena to begin with. Right. Whereas I think Sixers fans range anywhere from ambivalent to like, yeah, this would be cool. Right. So, I, but I, I think it's like naturally, like reflective along these these lines, right? Like if you're like a, a Chinatown resident, you've been there for 40 years and you're not a basketball fan, like you probably don't care about an arena going there. But it seems to be very a very clear line of demarcation between like, okay, sports fans typically are more favorable towards this. Well, if you're not a sports fan, then you, you probably don't care about the arena, probably don't want the arena. 
Well, I'm, I'm actually hearing both, even from sports fans, from Sixer fans have been sending me emails like, we'll never be able to park there. Why would you Why would you consider this? And other people say, oh, it'd be great. I could take public transportation. I won't have to worry about driving and paying for parking. You know, so you hear both sides from that, too. You know, I'm coming from Delaware County and I don't want to be able to drive into Center City. Uh, right. Well, that's unfair because I was a Montgomery County guy and I had to go from the R5 to Fern Rock, Fern Rock all the way down to South Philly. So the Montgomery County people are going to benefit from this. Selfishly. Well, they may, but there's still a lot to drive, right? You you took public transportation. There's still a lot to drive there. And, and some people are so used to driving that they don't want to change their habits. Right. So it's I think it's the same. We're getting the same type of concerns and support. Uh, from people who are, are sports fans or 76er fans, right? I mean, uh, obviously, they're a winning team right now, and uh, we want them to to jump to the next level. Um, and, you know, so it, it's exciting. And they're looking, and I'm sure, you know, Comcast wants them to stay exactly where they are and 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 stay there. They just invested a bunch of money in, into the Wells Fargo Center to redo uh, some of the suites and also the locker rooms and things like that. So, um, you know, this is this is not as easy as it seems. Uh, there is, there's many challenges along the way. But like I said earlier, um, I think the process after the process is done, I think the answer will be clear on, you know, what direction this will go. Hey, you're uh, you're a LaSalle grad, which makes you a big five guy. What do you think about the current state of the big five? Uh, I've never seen it this bad. I had a conversation with my brother the other day and and looking at some of these smaller schools that are able to attract some of the great talents. I mean, e- even from Philadelphia, uh, you know, years ago, I guess when I was younger, when you played in Philly, you wanted to play for one of the big five schools mm-hmm. uh, and you wanted to go. That's not like that anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of talent here in the city that we should be attracting. And I don't know if it's because maybe the coaches aren't as, engaged locally as they were back then or is it that it's just not as appealing because the teams aren't as good i mean even villanova struggling this year i mean it's the first year without jay wright so we'll have to give that some time but you know looking at st joe and LaSalle, and i mean even penn uh, penn's competitive in the ivy league but if you look at it where they were at one time and to where they are now it's very disappointing so i'm still a big five fan uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we could bring it back to have these city teams be great, you know, elite teams. I mean, even if you don't have to be in the top 25, but just be competitive in your in your conference, I think will be uh, will go a long way. And so I I don't think we're in a good position right now. And I think maybe I don't know if it's recruiting or how we look at our city schools or is it maybe it's the way the younger kids are looking at our schools and what what do we need to do different? Well, you see schools like Dayton attracting people, right? You see uh, um, even Boise and um, Butler, you know, schools like that that are able to get these these high-end athletes, but we're not able to do that. 100%. I mean, I think a lot of people rather play at like a, a bottom feeder of an ACC school or a bottom feeder of a Big East school because they'll get the notoriety. They'll play the Villanova's, the Georgetown's, the Syracuse's. They'll play the, you know, uh, Florida's, Duke's. North Carolina's and they'll get that TV stuff and they'll get that exposure and it builds social media followers. It builds great, uh, great brand for, for the NBA and whatnot. They'll be on TV and stuff. And you can't really get that on ESPN plus when Temple's playing, you know, North Florida in a couple of years or North Texas, excuse me. Sorry. I'm a Temple guy. North so. Florida, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, McKee, listen, he, to me, he, he should be able to do that and turn it around. I know when Fran Duffy was there, he was that sort of at the end of his career. Um, but you would think McKee would be able to attract, 
you know, some of the local guys. I mean, you had Jameer Nelson, right, Delonte West. You had players that end up making the pros. I mean, back when I was there, you had Lionel Simmons and some other guys that they came after I left LaSalle. But, yeah. I mean, they were great games. And and you had – and these were all homegrown talent, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Larry Costner, Larry McFarlane, uh, Lonnie McFarlane from St. Joe's. Um, they were able always to attract some of the best players in the city. And, and, and now we don't see that. So I think we have to get back to that. Let's look at home. Let's try to recruit some of these guys. I mean, we had some guys go to Penn state, the kids from Roman recently, right? Great feeder, great feeder program from, from Roman to to, uh, Penn state. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it just seemed odd that they would, you know, go, not that I'm a, I'm not, I'm a Penn state fan too, but why not go to a local big five school? Oh, yeah, it was a, a little weird, and they don't they don't vote. They don't vote in your district. You don't have to be a <laughs> it was a little weird. The optics of looking like they had a they had a big five doubleheader at the Palestra, and nobody was there. And then Penn Penn State came and played Purdue at the Palestra. I think the crowd was like like pretty good for that. You know, um, I don't know. Well, listen, you have the Catholic League public league playoff games down there, and that place mm-hmm. is sold out. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so we know the interest is there. We just got to we just got to get we just got to get the players back, I think. And, uh, you know, and 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 we got to look at recruiting. How why don't we recruit our own local and what what are we doing wrong not to attract them? I think that's where that's where our problem is. I mean, you guys probably know more than me, but that's my take. (laughs) I think we're just as confused as you are, honestly. Yeah, (laughs) there's 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 no good answer. But Councilman, thank you so much uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. I, I feel like you gave us kind of like a a blueprint of what's going to be in the future and, and what both sides are looking at right now. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for that. And uh, just know that the, you know, we'll continue this process and then hopefully come up and maybe check in in a month or so and see where we're at. Great. Sounds awesome. great. All, All right. right. Thank you. All right. Take care guys. Have a great thank day. You. See Bye. you later. All right. Councilman Marsquill. That was good. I, I feel like I learned, I learned a lot. I learned something. I learned where we're at in the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a little bit about, you know, what goes on into uh, making a stadium. And it seems yeah. like it seems like it was kind of like an olive branch in that interview to the Sixers being like, we want to see this. We want to see this. We want to see this. Mm-hmm. So it feels like and he yeah. said that uh, they have uh, what was it till June to uh, to come up with that. It doesn't seem like that's going to. Well, I think he said that's when they were hoping to kind of move this thing forward. But uh, I think the Sixers, I are you know, I think for the Sixers, they have to, uh, the onus is on them to probably answer a lot of these questions, um, you know, to answer a lot of the concerns that people have and try to do their best to assuage concerns and say, hey, we don't think it's going to affect Chinatown in the way you think it is because of reason X, or hey, we don't think this is going to be negative in, as far as traffic for reason Y, you know? So I think like the burden then falls on them, you know, right? Um mm-hmm. I think a little bit much was made. I think, to be honest, I think that one vocal meeting was probably over publicized a little bit. That was a that was a very like vehement anti arena group that had that one meeting not long ago. But they've all formed together now and created one um, big like coalition, I guess. And they're getting um, outside representation for pro bono, right? Uh, y- so. Yeah, they've yeah, right. They have like legal. Uh, yeah, legal, legal, legal backing and whatever. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what goes. I thought he made a good point too about like how not all Sixers fans are necessarily mm-hmm. on board with this. And it wasn't even specifically like where I was going with that. I think what I was trying to say is like, I don't think Chinatown is like a large, like Sixer, like rah rah Sixers place to begin with. So, I don't by default, I think they don't give a shit. Right. It's like, I think what I was saying to you yesterday, the day before last time we were talking on the phone, I was like, 
Like if they build a dance studio in like the uh, shopping center across the street from my house, I don't really give a shit because I'm not a dancer and like my kids aren't dancers. But then so it's on the dance studio to say like, well, you know, I think we can create a couple jobs in the neighborhood or clean up this area or like, you know, do this or whatever. Right. So it's like I don't you know, I think people who generally don't give a shit about sports to begin with are going to be anti arena. Right. Because yeah. it doesn't necessarily benefit. There's no direct benefit to them. But even though Sixers fans on the same side, to his point, they aren't overwhelmingly like rah, rah, let's do it. You know, but I think in the six, this is what people got to remember. Here's the thing, Pagan. Everything that you've ever rented or tasted or, or had a lick of in your entire life, if you leased a car or you rented an apartment or you uh, rented a, a boat or, or anything like that, you want to at some point own you want to have that for yourself. You want to own that. Like you want to take the next step, right? The Sixers have been tenants in the Wells Fargo Center for decades now. They want to have their they want to have their own place. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay somebody else to use their building, right? So I understand Comcast thoughts of like, hey, we renovated this. We put a lot of money into it. We want you to stay. We think you're a good partner. The Sixers like could say, yeah, we appreciate that, but we we want to have our own building. We're an NBA franchise. We don't want to rent. We don't want to pay somebody else for their building. Yeah. So I don't I don't blame them for 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 wanting to do this, I guess, if that makes any sense. No, I 100 percent agree. Uh why rent when you can own? Uh this is a bad to- right here. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny, Philly fan. JJ Reddick will never call games for ESPN if the Sixers play near Chinatown. Oh man, is it too soon? Is it too soon? Oh, it's probably five I think the years. statute of limitations is, is up on that. I think he's built his media career enough that people forget about it until every Chinese yeah. New Year when they bring it up. Uh, yeah. and the NBA does something. Um, he does a pretty good job. He's been doing a good job with the ESPN games too. Yeah, yeah, he does. And that podcast, he actually seems to give a shit and is motivated. Unlike Al Michaels, who oh, called I, called the Jaguars and I uh, called the Jaguars Chargers game like he was he was doing a like preseason uh, gin rummy at the nursing home or something. So I was at McGillen's when that game was going on. So I didn't hear any of the broadcast, and I did not know that Tony Dungy and him were basically putting everybody to sleep. Yeah, it was bad. I don't know. Here's the here's the distinguishing factor too, because people say like if you don't have a passion for the game, you should give it up. I don't know if, but there's a difference between not having a passion for it, just being like physically unable to do it, or you just don't have like the energy anymore. You know what I mean? So I don't know if he's going through them because if, if people say he's phoning it in, I'm like, yeah. is he phoning it in, or can he just does he just not have the energy for it? He wants to be energetic, but he's just not doesn't have it anymore. But it doesn't, feel like, the, it doesn't feel like a Lee Corso situation. It doesn't feel like, oh, God, we got to get Al Michaels in the retirement home. It seems like he still wants to do it. It seems like he still, you know, has his he, he has his bets on the line and everything, and he'll talk about them. I really yeah. think Amazon Prime, how shitty that schedule was and how shitty those games were, I think it took a lot out of him. I think, I think yeah. you know, you, you call 16 games, and they're all suck, and you're kind of like, maybe you just, you know, kind of fall into that little trap and everything. And I think Kirk Herbstreit did pull him along a lot this year. Um you weren't you weren't staying on the uh, on the broadcast game of a of a Jaguars Titans Thursday night football game because of Al Michaels. Like you went to hear Al Michaels' call. I mean, him and Kirk, like to no fault of their own, had to. I'm thinking, uh, well, there was one. It was um, it was Broncos. I want to say Lions, maybe. And I think that game ended like seven to three. 
That game yeah, was yeah, one of yeah. the worst games. That was a Thursday yeah. night Amazon Prime game. And I remember that one. Like, they were openly like mocking it at one, at one point because it was just so bad. But still, that doesn't give you a reason. I mean, you have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I mean, you have we have more than enough young guys who would love mm-hmm. to take over and love to get that money that Amazon Prime is shelling out to Al Michaels and whatnot. That it's like, listen, if you don't care anymore, I mean, you could go get a nice little studio job. Yeah. You could go get a you know another announcing gig somewhere else and whatnot. I just. Yeah, you can, if, pull if, a, you can pull a Ray Dinger and you can come back and you could do uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia and you could do, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I, I love this move by Ray because and there was actually a little bit of uh, anti Ray sentiment underneath some of the uh, comments on the blog, and whatnot, which I was very surprised about. Now, listen, people, he's not taking jobs away from like this college kid who's like the next up and coming or this next young gun who's next up and coming. He's doing part time for the morning show and whatnot. But I think this is also a testament to man. When you still got it and you don't need to be in a, in a, in a home and you're not doing a league course of situation where we not need to kind of, you know, just put you in the, uh, in, in, in the hospice and whatnot, yeah. retiring and going home and spending time with your family absolutely sucks. I mean, Ray spent two holidays with his family and was like, you know what? This is too much. This is too much. Because do you remember? I have it written down here. He, he gave a great sign off. Like all the he uh, this is what it said. Um. This was his retirement speech on WIP. All these years, my family has lived their lives around my schedule. Now I can build my life around theirs. I have a wonderful wife, two accomplished adult children, and four beautiful grandchildren. I'm ready to transition from being Ray Diddy to Grandpa. Absolutely the fuck you are not, Ray Diddy. <laughs> because Ray yeah, Diddy. Three months later, this sucks. <laughs> this sucks. Took his grandkids out to breakfast probably every week. They're on their phone or on their iPad. Like, this grandparent shit sucks. I'd rather listen to Chuck from Mount Airy or Eagle Shirley or Marissa from Tur- Tokyo. I'd rather yeah. listen to them bitch about why Jonathan Gannon's not blitzing enough. Screw this grandpa shit. Well, it just makes the fanfare look, you know. Did it mean anything? I guess. But, you know, it's like I think there's a lot of truth to. Uh, I think it was Cinderella. I think it was Clifton Heights uh, hair metal band Cinderella who did. Uh, you, you don't know what you obviously, got until yeah. you know, so like, yeah. you know, sometimes until you step away from that situation, you realize, oh, this is life without this. Then you, you realize how shitty, <laughs> shitty or empty it may feel. So I don't know. And he I mean, still got right? it. Yeah, if you still got it, and look, like like Ray is certainly not the first person to like unretire and and do this. You know, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne did the first No More Tours tour in 1992. You know, and he's been touring for 30, 30 years since. I think I saw Motley Crue's uh, Goodbye Tour in 2015, and they're playing with Def Leppard at the Borgata next week. I want to say so. Um, no, I uh, I liked your. I'm trying to pull it up right here. I liked your last line in the post you wrote. Uh, point being, it didn't last like Kim Kardashian's first three marriages, but it's all good. We're not going to judge someone for unretiring. Plus, Ray isn't exactly signing up for Monday to Wednesday, nine to five in some shitty office job. He's going to come back and do part time Eagles analysis for huge media outlets. I don't blame him. If you love doing something, do it until you physically can't or mm-hmm. the passion is gone, which is obviously is not. What else are you going to do? Sit around and spend time with family? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, like this kind of goes hand in hand with my pickleball take here, too. Why am I going to transition to pickleball? If pickleball is retirement... And yeah. tennis is the here and now. I'm not in any hurry to go from tennis to pickleball. If Ray is 75, but he's still got a passion for the Eagles, then do it, man. You know? Ray Diddy's yeah. is still in the tennis part of his life. He's not ready to go to pickleball yet. Yeah, you can sit around and do nothing when you're dead. You know, I mean, you can do that for the rest of eternity. So, like, the, f- the philosophy is like, hey, I love doing this. Like, I miss it. Then, yeah, man, you don't you have to stay retired just to 
prove a point to somebody. Like I said, I was going to retire. Now I'm going to retire. Like, no, nah, man, if you want to get back into it, go for it. You know? So. Now, what about a Ray Diddy curse? Because the last time Ray Diddy was on the radio, yeah. Jalen Hurts was an MVP candidate. The Eagles had Mike Quick as the franchise leading wide receiver in receiving yards. Ross had three kids the last time Ray Diddy was on the radio. I mean, what if what if the Eagles come yeah. out and lay an egg and they lose? Do we blame Ray Diddy? Is it a Ray Diddy curse? Yeah, the Diddy, the Diddy mush. Is he gonna mush it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Nah. Oh. He's a fucking jinx. Put him in the bathroom. <laughs> That's my uh, Sonny uh, from the Bronx deal. Put a, put a towel over his head. What if, what if he went to ninety-seven-five? Just, just completely farved it, and farved <laughs> going to the Vikings. Ray Diddy Ray goes to ninety-seven-five. Would be oh my god! It'd be like oh, Favre be great radio. The Vikings. Uh, yeah, it'd be like Favre wearing purple and uh, purple and white or whatever. Man, Angelo um, would sign yeah. on for two more years, like he, when he was spurned by Mark Frazetta. <laughs> Now, what if Ray coming back makes Angelo not want to retire and signs an extension? <laughs> now I'm not. You know what? I think the Phillies are going to be good this year. You know, Angelo's not retiring. Here's the, but that's the real question. If the Eagles were dog shit this year, would Ray want to unretire? Ooh, people are asking, but I really do, do you think. think do you I, think I he was like? Do you think he was like? Oh shit, they're good. I got to get in on this. One one thousand percent. One thousand percent. I I'm trying to remember the 2020 year when they were absolute dog shit. I'm pretty sure even Ray was kind of like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, what are we going to talk about? It's week 18. They went yeah. four and 12. Like there's nothing to talk about with these guys. Talk about Doug tanking. That's what you talk about. Yeah. People did say he's still promoting his memoir and his play. So, I mean, there might be some, you know, Hey, listen, go get your, go get your check. I don't care. You've been doing it for 53 years. You're one of the, you're probably the leading voice in, in, in Eagles talk to this day. Yeah, it's not like Ray came out and said, like, this is definitely it. I'm done. I'm never coming back. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any of that. It was like, you know, he got a taste of life after football and said, this sucks ass, and I'm going to come <laughs> come back and do the football again, you know? Like, he's certainly not the first person to do that, so. Um, Absolutely not. Good for him, man. You only, I mean, you only live once, right? YOLO. So, I <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? Sit, watch, uh, you know, watch movies with your family or talk about the birds, you know? One thousand percent. This is this is why you do this show. You, you you get an hour away from your family. That's what you told me that one time. I just got my fingers crossed that both kids are going to stay at their nanny and daycare for a full week. We haven't had a full week without one of them being sent home in like uh, since October. You see Attitude any issues about that on Twitter? You see me? No, uh, snot issues, mucus <laughs> issues. Uh, you see me bitching about it on Twitter. I promise I'm not being dramatic. Like I, I this is like the I got a friend who's a doctor down at Virtua in uh, Virtua. And uh, he said it's the worst cold and flu season he's ever seen in his entire life. Yeah, he blames pretty masks. Bad. He blames the masks because he said we didn't have a flu season last year because everybody was isolating and and wearing masks. Right, so I blame two people for that. Here's I my anti. Here's I'm my anti mask take. I didn't have allergies until I had to wear a mask for a full year. That's uh-huh. the only. That's as far as I'll go. For I, I beat the allergies. Shout out to me for beating the allergies, beating the convictions. Yeah. But there, spring. Last spring was the worst I've ever had allergies. I've never had allergies yeah. in my life. Yeah. I blame. I mean, look at these bags under my eyes, Pagan. Well, that's I like just, that's I look like I was. I look like I was ripping vapes with Mike McDaniel on the sideline of that game. Hey, 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 hey! That was a sharpie. <laughs> I um, I blame the Communist People's Party of China more than anything, <laughs> and then I blame Fauci. I blame Doctor Fauci for it. Do you blame Josh Harris for maybe becoming a commie? 
I could buy the commies. Yeah, we need to get a gain of function expert in here. Call Rand Paul's people and see if he can come on. He probably knows why my kids have been sick nonstop. You know, did Fauci oh. sponsor gain of function in the Wuhan lab? We you know? should have. We should have asked uh, Mark Scola about uh, what he thought about Josh Harris supposedly buying the Commanders. You know, if if Harris buys the Commanders, he's got a football team in Washington, a basketball team in Philly, and a hockey team in New York, right? Jersey. Jersey, yeah. Newark. Yeah, if they buy the Orioles, then he owns a four for four up and down the eastern seaboard, you know? Wow. So here here's the, uh, here's the news by J.P. Finley, known weasel and crossing broad rival uh, at NBC Sports Washington. Uh, he reports that Jeff Bezos did not submit an official bid for the Commanders when proposals were due just before Christmas. Uh, more news on the sale front shows that Todd Bowley, who owns the Dodgers, and he was also in on, I want to say he was in on Chelsea as well. He and bought LeBron Chelsea. Goes. He bought Chelsea. He bought Chelsea? Okay. Yeah. Has pulled out of the commander's bidding. Uh, Bowley was rumored to be among the non-Bezos frontrunners for the team as he's a graduate of Bethesda, Maryland, Landon School, and he's active in professional sports ownership. That leaves Josh Harris, who I did not know was from D.C., um, and the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils as perhaps the top candidate to buy the yeah. commanders. Now, listen. Just like his basketball team, Josh Harris knows a thing or two about losing in the second round because he was in on Chelsea, got the initial bid, lost there. He was in on the Broncos. The Walmart family poo-pooed him and just laughed at him. was like, you want to go into a bidding war with us? You can't do it. Got the initial bid in, lost in the second round. He wanted to buy the Mets, got the initial bid in. <laughs> Steve Cohen said, Mm-mm-mm, I got this one, uh, lost again. He's, he's just always getting out of the second round and losing. Now, every time they lose in the playoffs, and he does get the commanders, it'll be nice if the Eagles kick the shit out of him every time. It'd be that would be uh, that would soften the blow a little bit. What do you think this would do for the Sixers, if anything? When the when they bought the Devils or when they bought Crystal Palace or all this other stuff that did affect any of those other teams? No, no. it's largely an absentee owner anyway. You know, just puts people in place and he's there a lot though. Yeah. He is there a lot. I guess you have a favorite, you know. I mean, this these are the larger the crown jewel. These are the larger teams in their portfolios, you know. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that guy Bowley, by the way, the entire United Kingdom flipped shit because he is like first press conference. He suggested that maybe the Premier League do an All Star game, and all the dudes over there were like, went on these like anti American rants, like you're destroying the sanctity of the premier league by having an all-star all-star game and like americans are ruining the premier league we can't have foreign owners in the premier league because they wanted to i don't know they, they thought it was like trying to force american ideas on their league or something I'm like it's an all-star game so we're not telling you like yeah, yeah saudi oil but, money perfectly fine all-star game that's where you got to draw the line <laughs> in the premier league yeah yeah i they selling announced an 11 team, right? Yeah, tell, selling to the oil shakes and like murderous, like dictatorial, authoritarian regimes is fine. But all star game, no. All star game. Yeah. Can't have an all star game. They do name like an all pro team as their like 11 team, right? They do. Yeah. And Bowley was just talking about like a marketing thing. He thought it was a way to wait, raise money for like the smaller teams in England, like, um, you know, to help them out as well. So it wasn't, I mean, but like these people just flipped shit and they're like, we can't lose uh, the Yankees or ruining football or whatever. So dude, uh, Erling Holland versus Virgil van Dyke in an all-star game. Give me that every time. Who wouldn't want to see it, man? The uh, Euro snobs over here would watch it. You know, what do you think of uh, the whole Kyrie Irving 
Kyrie Irving going after uh, after James Harden. If anyone didn't see that, uh, this guy is, first of all, just addicted to controversy. I mean, he's running himself out of cities. He fights with teammates. He refuses to get protocols. He's an anti-Semite. I think I buried the lead there. Um, but this is what he said about, <laughs> about Kyrie. Kyrie Irving said he the difference between Katie's injury last year and Katie's injury this year is he's in the lineup, which is obviously he was halfway in and halfway out, but also that there was a guy in the locker room Here's what he said. Sorry. Well, I'm consistently in the lineup. That helps. We also don't have halfway in anybody in the locker room, which is hilarious to think about when Kyrie Irving couldn't even play in half of his team's games last year. So, like, who was really the halfway in, halfway out guy? It was Kyrie Irving. I mean, a a halfway in James Harden is better than 10 toes on the hardwood Ben Simmons this year. Yeah, I think you kind of hit on it in the story. Kyrie's one of those guys who says a lot of things that he thinks make him sound intelligent, but he really doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, you know? So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. When Thibodeau, Kayvon Thibodeau started ta- talking to the media about like narratives and all this other stuff, so he was just pulling out big words, but like didn't really mean anything. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. It's 115. I am yeah. sorry, Kev. I didn't even notice. This is me. This is bad producing by me and bad directing by me. All right. We've gone this long before. We can wrap it up, though. I, I mean, I don't I don't think I think we hit on everything. Well, no, we need one more thing. Let's one uh, more thing. Let's hear Did one more thing. Slap fight guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Craig, bring up slap fight guy. This guy, Soreen Kamsha. If we can get that, Kev. Oh, I can't even look at this. <laughs> So if anyone remembers, we were talking on Thursday. Dana White has this slap fight league. It actually goes live tomorrow. Are we are we going to watch it? We're going to live watch it, live stream no. it. No, okay. I'll I'll watch it and report back. But this guy, Shireen Kamza, face looks so swollen. He looks like watch this. he this looks like, like oh, oh. he looks like sloth from the Goonies. For anybody on the uh, anybody on the podcast, he's got blood on his cheek. He's got eleven different cotton balls in his left ear. Yeah. He looks like he's been through the ringer. It looks like he's been through four or five rounds of slap fights, baby powder all over the face, blood on the cheek. And it just, this guy just absolutely unloads on his this, swollen this is, face. This is trash. There's no athletic, like redeeming value to this. Is what this is, Pagan, is smut. This is like <laughs> a snuff film. You know, this is like trash, is what it is. Uh, Craig, scroll down. Don't tell this to Shareem Kamsha because you know why? The guy fucking won, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) The guy won the whole thing. Well, good for him, I guess. You know, (laughs) Craig, I put a I put a before and after in the in the doc. Can you can you bring up the before of Shareem Kamsha and the and the after of uh, Shareem Kamsha? I I mean. He's Let me guess. He's Russian. He's Russian or something. I, it, it was Dagestani or Russian. I watched the whole thing. This look at this before and after. Before guy looks like you know clean cut hairlines a little far back and whatnot. Great beard and whatnot. But holy shit, it looks like he had a stroke slash was repeatedly hit in the face by a ten pound brick. Terrible. Yeah. His Terrible. left side of his face is just drooping. How I much do you think he made? How much do you think he was paid? Like five k for this, dude, Kev. I was trying to find it. And every article was in Dagestani or Russian or anything. I mean, I watched the I watched the whole slap fight thing last night. I was just for, just for so just for some clarification here. Dagestan is a part of Russia. Oh, is it? Yeah, I it's, just I just know that's where Hasbulla is from. Hasbulla is from Dagestan. Yeah, it's like a region in Russia. I don't know, like maybe like separate. Crimea. 
in Ukraine. <laughs> Any of our pro-Ukraine people just left, just left the uh, live stream. Well, you're like, what are you like a Kremlin mouthpiece? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From Putin's been... word, from Putin's words to your, uh, your, yeah. uh, your, your lips or whatever. You know? I'm, uh, I'm actually a KGB operative, uh, operating as a moonlighting. Excuse me, as a blogger slash man on the street artiste. <laughs> that reminds me of that guy who was like dating the Chinese spy the entire time or whatever, and that came out. <laughs> People glossed over that and like that was out of the news cycle in like 24 hours, you know. Oh, uh, that was great. That was great. the next thing, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'll tune into Slap Fight tomorrow. I will watch it. I will support. I don't want to say I will support Dana White. Never mind. I, I will watch it and I will report back to see how yeah. it, uh, it goes. I've heard the first bout. I've heard the first bout is him versus his wife. <laughs> 29.99 on pay per view. <laughs> Fucking terrible. Uh, Total smut all around. Uh, well, that'll fail because everything he does without the fertitas will uh, typically fail and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Well, hey, you got anything else? No, we're going to uh, – we'll talk some more birds on Thursday. Uh, I think Cratch is coming back. And uh, this is good. This is a rational Tuesday. Glad to have everybody with us. As more and more people keep joining the stream just as we're about to end it. Yeah. Who, who would be your number one contender? Who would you want to go against at Crossing Broad? In, in a slap fight contest, who who would you know that you could be like, done? Uh, two slaps, two hits, me hitting you, you hitting the floor. Oh, I mean, Russ, easily. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> oh, I need one slap for that. So. I mean, I know they're not really a part of it, but 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 Phil Kydell or uh, Jeff Wool would probably be my number one or number two contender right there. I could put I could put Jeff out the pasture with these with these meat hooks. Look at these meat hooks right here. Mm. Not a lot of power behind them. But holy shit, will I get the entirety of the face? So. That'll be your next man on the street. We'll send you to Power Slap. <laughs> yeah. Go send me to Dagestani. Dagestan, whatever the hell it's called. But uh That's where Khabib, uh, you know, it's like where Khabib is from, right? Cool. I'll fight a All bear. the Russian, all the like crazy UFC Russian like wrestler, uh, you know, like submission guys. Khabib, Islam, Makachev, they're all from there. So. I love that. I love that. Magomed uh, Ankalaev is from there. You want to do more? You sound like you have something in your throat when you say these names. No, I'll do a UFC. One, one of these days we'll get like Eddie Alvarez or something on, you know. So. That's true. Well, now he works at Bet Parks. We can't get him on. Oh, okay. All right. We'll get Paul Felder on the move. Or we have Bill Algio. Sure. What about the guy who lost to the guy who made fun of Philadelphia? Sean. Sean Brady. Sean Brady. We'll get one of the Dawkuses on. All right. All right. Well, that's the, uh, that's the broadcast. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you to Councilman. Uh, Mark Squilla for coming on and talking to us all about the uh, 76ers arena. Thank you to Craig behind the scenes of the ones and twos. Craig would actually be a first uh, first contender, but I think Craig could fucking take a slap to the face like nobody's business. Um, I think if we go any longer, he's going to slap us through the through the screen here. We can leave. We don't need him. We don't, I mean, everything on the dock is already gone. All we need him to do is just pull up stuff half the time. He can leave whenever he wants. See you, Craig. See ya. Now, Craig has run. Craig has run through the blistering winters. The wind of uh, of Chicago. When we were out in Chicago, he's getting up yeah. at seven in the morning and running through the night. I mean, those winds on that face, stinging that face. Yeah. He could take a slap or two. Anyway, yeah. this is this has been the broadcast. We've yeah. gone way too long. We will talk to you on Thursday. And uh,